Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. All right, Percy Spencer was born in Howland, Maine on July 19th, 1894. At one and a half years old, Percy's dad died. Soon after that, his mother left him in the care of his aunt and his uncle. At the age of seven years old, Percy's uncle died. Percy ended up dropping out of school to earn money to support himself and his aunt. From the ages of 12 to 16, he worked from sunrise to sunset at a spool mill. At a later age, he discovered that a local paper mill was soon to begin using electricity, a concept little known in his rural home region. And he accordingly began learning as much as possible about the phenomenon. He applied to work at the mill and was one of three people hired to install electricity in the plant. He got the job despite never having any formal education or training in electrical engineering, or even finishing grammar school. At the age of 18, Spencer decided to join the Navy, and he became interested in wireless communications after leaving about the wireless, after learning about the wireless operators aboard the Titanic when it sank. While he was with the Navy, he made himself an expert on radio technology. I just got hold of a lot of textbooks and taught myself while I was standing watch at night. He also subsequently taught himself trigonometry, who does that, calculus, who would want to do that, chemistry, well that could get explosive and exciting, physics, and metallurgy, or metal, which is... I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's basically the study of metals. By 1939, Percy was working at the Raytheon Company as one of the leading experts in the world in radar technology. Now, I'll tell you what came of Percy at the end of the message. Would you open with me, please, to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy Chapter number two. Let's see what the Bible has to say this morning. Second Timothy chapter number two, the Bible says in verse number eight, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, help me to tell the truth from your word and proclaim what your Bible has to say to your people. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask your blessing over this message. Amen and amen. 
All right, of the seed of David. Let's get Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter number one. But according to what? Of the seed of David, but according to what? Romans chapter one, verse number three, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. It's according to the flesh. Christ is, is, is in the lineage of David. Now here's the Old Testament promise. You can see this, 1 Kings 2, 1 Kings 8, 1 Kings 9. Uh, there shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel. It's referring these passages. You can see the same passage, all cross-reference, 2 Kings 2, 8, 9. Christ as the Messiah. Christ as the Messiah. In the New Testament, here's what we have. Luke chapter 1, it's of the house of David. Matthew 9, Matthew 12, Matthew 15, Matthew 21, you'll see, thou son of David. And then we see in John 7, the seed of David, and that's where we're at here in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, the seed of David. Now, why is that important for you and I to understand in a practical sense? To a Jew, it would be no greater honor to be in the best lineage of kings. It's called family pride. We, we, we see it today. And, and a lot of times this hinders people from coming to Christ. I, look, I, I come from a good family. They don't see their need for a savior. It's family pride. Everybody wants to have a good line to come from, a good family to come from. And people have good families. Look at the Mormon religion. Those are good families. Those are families that want to raise their children and protect them from the evils of the world and all of that. Good families. And people are raised in that cult. That false religion. They're good people. Though they are people that you would want to have working for your company. They're hard workers. You know how hard it is for them to leave their family lineage? Their family religion? It's very difficult for people that grow up a certain way and were taught a certain way to leave that and come to Jesus Christ. But here's what the Lord does. He doesn't care at all about the honors of this world. He lived a humble life. He was never proud. And it didn't matter the circumstance. But you know what happens today? You throw a man or a woman, you throw them a little bit of money, you throw them their dream job. You throw them a great family. Pride. None of that stuff affected Jesus Christ. And you know what it is? It's easy to be against stuff that's not within your reach or that's not within my reach. 
And this is why some preachers preach against sports, because they're just not good enough to play. <laughs> they won't be good enough to play. So what do I do? I preach against it. Why? Because it's not within your reach. They preach against money. Money is the devil. Why? Because, well, they don't want to work hard enough to earn it, or they don't have the skills enough to do it, or they don't have the whatever it is, fill in the blank, and so they're going to be against it. Now, not everybody is like that, but there are some people, some preachers, some Christians, they're just like that. They want to be against stuff because it's not within their reach. But here's the difference with Jesus Christ. It's all within his reach. That's the difference with our Savior. It is within his reach. And that's why he says in Mark 8, 6, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? None of this stuff was worth it anything to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he denounced all of it. Why did he do that? Because he cared about the things that were most important. He is our example and we should care about the things that are most important. We should have a job. How important is that job to you, though? We should have clean clothes. How important are clothes to you? Things that we need in this life that God asks us not to get entangled with, are they the most important priority to you? Every man has to answer that. It was all within Jesus Christ's reach. And here's why we can't miss what it's according to. The seed of David according to the flesh. Why is that important? No one, I wouldn't say, yeah, I, I am of the seed of Fortunato according to the flesh. It would be dumb for me to say that. Of course you're according to the flesh. But when they say that of Jesus Christ, why do they have to point out in God's word? Why is it pointed out according to the flesh? Because there's another according to. It would make perfect sense for that. It would make perfect sense to just leave that out for us. It's completely obvious. But he's got another nature. He's got another nature besides his nature of humanity. Yes, he was a man, but he was so much more. That's why Romans, 4, Romans 1 4 talks about holiness, the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit. There's another nature to him that's 100% holy and God. But we see that this seed of David, according to the flesh. Uh, let's go move on, moving on. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 8 says, was raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. Here's how most Christians reflect on the resurrection. Praise God, we have a living Savior. Praise God, Christ defeated death on the cross and He won us the victory. 
Praise God, all the other false gods and so-called gods are dead, but not our God. He's alive forevermore. And this is great. And we should say it and we should amen to it. But I want you to additionally reflect and consider looking at the resurrection like this. After all the temptation, all the unjust trial, all the sorrow, all the spitting, all the mocking, all the beating, he rose from the dead after all that. How about you and I think on Christ the Savior? You've got trials, I've got trials, you've got temptations, I've got temptations, you've got sorrow, I've got sorrow, you get mocked, I get mocked. After all that, we got to get up. We're raised in newness and of life. That's how you endure the labor of this life. You think on Christ's resurrection from that perspective as well. Think on Him. After all that, rose from the dead. We were raised in newness of life. And after all we've gone through, get up. Get up. And then the Bible says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Now, this is where you'll hear some of the sect of Paul only or they will say that they're hyper-dispensationalists. Well, they won't say that they are, but meaning that Paul, we only go by what Paul said. And so Paul now is identifying, oh, it's, this is my gospel. So John 3.16 isn't for us and only the Pauline epistles are for us. This is the Paul-only group. And they'll show up in various independent Baptist churches. And they usually don't stay in church too long. Just long enough to stir up the pot and get people confused and fighting. And then they'll move on. All he's saying is, it's the gospel that was entrusted to Paul. So it makes it his gospel. It's the gospel that's been entrusted to me. My gospel. It's been the gospel that's been entrusted to you. It doesn't have some stake on something different than what you and I have. It's the gospel. Have you believed the gospel? God's entrusted you with that gospel. You can call it my gospel. Get it out to others. And then in verse number 9, he says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. You know, Paul's saying on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you're, you're treating me like I'm a criminal. Like I've done something wrong. Paul's a prisoner. He's in bonds. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 20 says, I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Then he says in Acts 28, 16, Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Paul says, you can bind me, but you can't bind the gospel. It ain't going to happen. This thing is bigger than we are. We're a brand new church plant. 
pretty much everything's bigger than we are. <laughs> but you go into the biggest conservative, Bible-believing preaching church. Oh, wow. I want to be part of this. This is so big. No. The Gospel is bigger than that. You can't stop it. And you won't stop it. And the world won't stop it. And the gates of hell won't prevail against Christ's church because it can't be bound. You may not prosper. I may not prosper. But the gospel will prosper. The gospel will. And it doesn't matter your circumstances. It doesn't matter your lot in life. It doesn't matter if your family was raised right or your family was raised wrong. You may be bound, but the Word of God is not bound. And if it's in you, get Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse number 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12. But I, would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Is that you? Are you set for the defense of the gospel? If the word of God is in you, it's not bound. Defend it, preach it, stand for it. All right, let's... Let's kind of get our brains into thinking mode. Let's get back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 10. Let's dive into this verse a bit. Everybody ready to think of it? Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know what Paul's saying here in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He cares more about the elect than he does himself. You know, the elect can refer to Jesus, the elect can refer to angels, the elect can refer to Christians, and the elect can refer to Israel. In the context of what we've just read this morning, what is the seed of David? 
The seed of David is a Jewish seed. Get Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 65. Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 65. Isaiah 45, verse number 4, the Bible says, For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect. Now get Isaiah 65. And the Bible says in Isaiah 65, verse number 9, And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it. Seed of David is a Jewish seed. Elect can refer to Israel. Let's look at the New Testament. Let's get Matthew 24. We've been in there. Matthew 24. We've been looking at that chapter verse by verse and seeing that when we're going through Daniel's 70th week, that's going to be God's turning back to dealing with the nation of Israel. And he says in Matthew 24, 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Why do you think in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 10, he says that they may also. We're going to stay on this a bit. Get Acts chapter 13. Why? Why is Paul ministering to the Gentiles? Acts chapter 13, verse number 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Bring it to the Jews. They don't want to hear it. So guess what? Turn to the Gentiles. You know what happened at the cross? God's dealing with the nation. God dealing with the nation. God dealing with the nation. Jesus Christ goes to the, to the cross. And guess what we enter into? The time of the Gentiles. Or the church age. Is God done with Israel? No, He's not done with Israel. He's going to turn back to Israel after the church has been raptured out of here. But we're in right now the times of the Gentiles. Paul is ministering to the Gentiles. Why? Because the Jews... Didn't want to hear it. All right, let's see here. First Thessalonians chapter. Uh, uh, let's get Romans chapter nine. I'm sorry, Romans chapter nine. Paul, he suffers all types of persecution from the Jews.
He said, uh, okay, so first, uh, first Thessalonians 2 says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain, that even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so, we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others. We might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. And he goes on, but let's see, uh, let's see uh, Romans chapter 9. Paul's a real, real man, a real man of God, if you will. He says that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Romans 9, let's start at verse number 2. <laughs> that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You see the seed of David, we looked at according to the flesh, Jesus Christ, his line of humanity. And now we look at what is Paul saying here in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Israelites, the Jews, what are they? His brethren, his, I'm sorry, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. Who, verse 4, are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory, the covenants of giving the law and the service of God and the promises. Then he goes on. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 10, is not a reference to the church as elect. Paul says they also. They also. You don't contrast one thing with the same thing. I'm saved. You're saved. Contrasted with they also, it's a different group of people. Why would Paul have to endure all things for the elect's sake? In Calvinistic theology, that would be those are they're irresistibly made willing. So why would Paul have to endure all things for that group? Without any work or any enduring from man or any outside source other than God, it's not referring elect here to the church. It's not referring to elect here as Christians. It's referring to elect as, what's it contrasting? The Jews, Israel. It's a contrast. It's not just that Paul has to have enough patience on them or endure long enough, have enough patience so that they eventually receive this irresistible grace from God. It doesn't make sense for Paul to suffer trouble and to strive and to endure and to labor and to be shipwrecked and to be beaten and to be hungered and to be thirsted 
for a group of people that are going to be saved anyway? But he wants his kinsmen, according to the flesh. He wants them also to obtain salvation and the eternal glory. Context here is the elect, the Jews that have rejected the gospel, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is striving towards something that can happen. He's not striving towards something that will happen regardless. Percy Spencer. Percy Spencer. His dad died when he was one and a half years old. His mother leaves him in the care of his aunt and uncle. Then his uncle dies when he's seven. He goes to work to support himself and his aunt. He ends up working at the Raytheon Company as a school dropout with no formal education or training at all. One day, when he was trying to improve radar technology, he accidentally melted a chocolate bar that was in his pocket. Then he experimented with popcorn. Then he exploded an egg in the face of one of his onlooking co-workers that got too close And he realized he had just invented the microwave oven. And the first commercially produced microwave oven stood six feet tall, weighed about 750 pounds, and cost about 5,000 U.S. dollars. And in 1967, the first relatively affordable microwave at about $500 was reasonably sized countertop that became available for sale. For his invention, Percy Spencer received no royalties. Percy Spencer was paid a one-time gratuity of two dollars. From the Raytheon company. The same token payment the company made to all inventors on its payroll at that time for company patents. Paul has the greatest message in the world. He's suffered persecution, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's been in bonds. The greatest message that Christ Jesus of the seed of David was raised from the dead. After all Paul has been through, he's got the greatest message. Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. After all Christ has suffered, he raised himself from the dead. After all we suffer in this life, Get up, we're raised in newness of life. We are raised with Him from the dead. You know what Paul got out of that? Preaching the greatest message in the entire world. He suffered trouble 
as an evildoer even unto bonds. You know what Percy got out of what he got in his life? Two dollars! He invented the microwave oven. No royalties, two dollars. Dead dad, mom left, dead uncle, had to go to work to support himself and his aunt. He discovers one of the greatest inventions you'll see in every single household in America. And he got, hey, nice job. Here's two bucks. And you know what Paul got? The greatest message he can ever give to anybody. You know what he got? Persecution. Trials. Suffering. Bonds. But Percy didn't do what he did for money. Percy didn't do what he did to get recognition and royalties for his life. He did what he did because he loved what he did. And you know what Paul's response was? The Word of God is not bound. You can bind me, but you can't bound the Word of God. I'll endure all things for the elect's sake. Why? That they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know what Paul starts? Chapter 2, here's what he talks about. Being strong, being committed, enduring hardness, being a soldier, going to war in a spiritual battle. Striving, laboring, trouble, suffering, and being in bonds. And none of that gets him off track. You get an ingrown toenail and you're off track. Your big toe hurts and you're, you and I are off track. Brother teases sister and, and the whole everybody's off track. The boss says work an extra hour and everybody, everybody's off track. Get up. You're raised in newness of life. Get up and move on. Don't do what you do for money. Don't do what you do for recognition. Don't do what you do for royalties. You're going to suffer trials and persecutions. You're going to go through the sufferings of life. Get up! we got to get up and move on and march on. Don't allow life to get you off track. You're not in jail. I'm not in jail. The biggest suffering you're going to deal with this week is someone's going to say something mean to you. You're not going to be put in prison. You're not going to be shipwrecked. We need to march on. It's like discovering, inventing the microwave oven. He got two bucks out of it. You think that insults him? You think that stops him? No. It doesn't get him off track because he does what he does because he loves what he does. And Paul, he discovers the greatest thing known to man. Salvation. And he's willing to endure all things so that his kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Jews, would obtain salvation 
with eternal glory so that others could obtain the eternal glory of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would to God that we be more like Paul. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I do pray that it was edifying to your saints. Dismiss us. Help us to be a witness to the lost and dying world that's out there. In Jesus Christ's name, we do pray that we're able to apply these things to our lives. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.